0: Welcome to Fangthology, a podcast dedicated to obsessively covering the myriad aspects of vampires throughout pop culture. We're your hosts, Kaylee Donaldson and Katherine Slavova. Together again, once more, we introduced our podcast to the world of the living and the dead with a deep dive into *Dance of the Vampires*, one of Broadway theater's most notorious musical flops. That show will forever stand tall as one of the industry's costliest errors—a mishmash of bad ideas, micromanagement issues, and clashing egos that turned a beloved European hit into the laughingstock of New York City. Dance of the Vampires would also go on to become example number one as to why vampire musicals don't work on stage, at least in the English language. Of course, that didn't stop people from giving it another try. Dance of the Vampires was based on an obscure Roman Polanski movie, one that didn't exactly come with a lot of brand name recognition. As Broadway moved towards more familiar properties for adaptation purposes from The Lion King to The Producers to Monty Python a lot, it made sense to stick to what audiences knew. And if you're set on making a vampire musical, why not take on one of the most iconic vampires in literary history? Not that one, although he does have his fair share of musical venues. The other one, Lestat. I have lived many lifetimes. I have hidden in the shadows and suffered in the light. I have loved, I have killed. And now, I will finally tell my story to the world. The mind of Anne Rice. The music of Elton John and Bernie Taupin. The theatrical event of the year.
1: Lestat.
0: Coming to Broadway. March 11th. Die young. Live forever. In
1: 1976, the American author Anne Rice published her debut novel, Interview of the Vampire. The book defied many of the literary expectations of the time. It was a vampire novel, of course, but not a tawdry horror paperback or work of self-aware schlock. This was deftly detailed historical fiction with lush prose that took itself 100% seriously. Rice wrote the book from a short story she'd written sometime in 1967 or 1968. At the time, she was struggling with depression and alcohol dependency following the death of her young daughter Michelle from leukaemia. It took her five weeks to complete the 338 page novel. publishing rights sold for a $12,000 advance in 1974, a massive sum of money for a debut offer when the average advance was about two grand. Upon its release, Interview with the Vampire received mixed reviews from critics, but it quickly found an audience. Interview with the Vampire was never intended to kick off a series, that's not how Anne Rice pitched it to the publisher, but it spawned now what we call the Vampire Chronicles, a 13-book saga plus two spin-offs and a connected trilogy involving witches and a couple comic books. It sold hundreds of millions of copies worldwide. Rice redefined the vampire for the 20th century with her books. Today, vampire fiction owes as much to her as it does to Bram Stoker. It was Anne Rice who helped to shape the image of the romantic, emotionally raw vampire who is undoubtedly the sympathetic protagonist rather than the predatory villain. Her vampires philosophise about their place in the world, in the battle of good and evil, and even in the heavens themselves. Her vampires are emotionally tangled, witty, tortured, and extremely eroticized. All of her vampires are also essentially pansexual, which made Rice extremely popular with LGBTQ readers, especially at a time when the community was under fire. Even today, many of Rice's fans are thoroughly devoted to her world. Which isn't always easy, given that some of the books go in let's say, interesting directions. At the heart of this saga is Lestat de Lioncourt, an otherworldly beautiful French nobleman who becomes the brat prince of all vampires ever. Lestat is the anchor of this sprawling series, the deviously charming anti-hero who enthralls and infuriates his fellow vampires and readers in equal measure. We are introduced to him in Interview the Vampire through the perspective of that book's interview subject, Louis de Pointola, who Lestat turns into a vampire and becomes his friend-slash-enemy-slash-boyfriend-slash-undead-guide. The relationship is complex to say the least, and through Louis's eyes we see Lestat as an antagonist of sorts. In the second novel in the series, titled The Vampire Lestat, the narrative totally shifts and we get Lestat's perspective including his backstory and his devious plan to reveal the secrets of the vampires to the world through his new life as a rock star, Over the course of about a dozen more books, we get a portrait of one of the greatest vampires in pop culture history. One whose story and journey couldn't easily be packaged into a two hour plus film. Despite the
0: undeniable popularity of The Vampire Chronicles, there have only been a scant handful of adaptations of Rice's books. The most famous one is of course neil jordan's sumptuous take on interview with the vampire a film so gorgeously rendered that you don't even mind how wildly miscast it is at the time rice was vehemently against the choice of tom cruise to play lestat but even she relented once she saw him while certain details are condensed or glossed over the film is far less queer than the book interview with the vampire captures the feverish intensity of the novel and never tries to wink or nod of the audience over its po face approach to the paranormal. It seemed that a sequel would be inevitable, especially since the film ends, like the book, on a cliffhanger. The follow-up we eventually got was, to put it mildly, a disappointment. Queen of the Damned, based very loosely on the novel of the same name, was a movie made quickly because Warner Brothers needed to get something out before the option over the series's film rights expired. It cuts out about 90% of all the stuff that makes the book so fascinating, straight washes Lestat, and drains the narrative of Rice's trademark lushness. It also makes Lestat a new metal singer, which is one of the greatest cinematic crimes of the 21st century. Suffice to say, Queen of the Damned underperformed, critics hated it, and Rice fans preferred to ignore its existence. While Anne Rice was complimentary towards the new Lestat, Stuart Townsend, she later said that the film, quote, mutilated her work. The failure of Queen of the Damned essentially cemented the end of Vampire Chronicles films for a generation of fans. That would mean no Teller, of the Body Thief movie, despite it arguably being the most cinematic entry in the series, no Memnoch the Devil, wherein Lestat hangs out with a demon claiming to be Satan, and Rice offers her bold rewrite of Christian theology, and no Mayfair Witches. Which would probably be unadaptable anyway, but a multi-generational saga of incest, magic, and instant adult demon babies certainly would have been worth the cost of admission. In 2003, Rice released Blood Canticle and quickly declared that, following her renewed commitment to Catholicism, she was done writing about Lestat and her vampires. So, for Vampire Chronicles fans, the 2000s were a very tough time. The series seemed to end on such a bum note, and the chances of a new movie were non-existent. So, the announcement of a lavish musical adaptation by one of modern pop's most iconic talents sounded too good to be true.
1: Elton John and Bernie Taupin have been making music together for over 50 years. Name a music award and they've won it. Grammys, Tony Awards, Oscars. By the 2000s, John had been working on several musicals, most famously The Lion King, both the film and the stage show. The Lion King is now basically the most profitable piece of entertainment ever created. In 2000, he wrote the music for a Disney-produced musical version of the opera Aida, with Tim Rice on lyrics duties. That won him a Tony Award for Best Original Score. He then took home plenty of awards at the end of 2000s with Billy Elliot the musical, including a Tony Award for Best Musical. Now he's currently working on a Broadway version of The Devil Wears Prada alongside Paul Rodnick, who's perhaps best known for his screenplay for Adam's Family Values. With Topan, however, he's only made one musical, Lestat. And we doubt that's listed among his prouder achievements. Lestat was set to be the debut show of Warner Brothers Theatre Ventures, the live show, stage play, musical production arm of the mega conglomerate that's now known as Warner Media. The company hoped to replicate the growing success of Disney's theatrical wing which was mining the studio's rich back catalogue for musical material and spinning it into endlessly profitable gold. At the time, both The Lion King and Beauty and the Beast were big hits on Broadway and made millions on touring productions and international versions. Before Lestat, Warner Brothers had actually approached Jim Steinman of Dance of the Vampires fame to work on a Batman musical. But after that vampire show of his flopped on Broadway, they pulled the plug on Gotham's finest singing his heart out. Warner Brothers received an offer from Linda Wolverton, the screenwriter of Disney's Beauty and the Beast, who also wrote the book for the subsequent Broadway adaptation, to take on Lestat. She, along with Robert Jess Roth, who directed the Broadway show of Beauty and the Beast, expressed interest in working with Elton John and Bernie Taupan. They wanted to take on The Vampire Chronicles, and this was a great moment for Taupan, who had tried to secure the stage rights to interview with the vampire many decades prior. When Roth managed to track down the right, Toppan wanted to get on board almost immediately. He recalled in an interview with the Baltimore Sun, quote, I said I would do it, providing it was done with a great deal of taste and it wasn't turned into a campy joke, and so long as there were no dancing vampires. Toppan, Roth and Wilburton then met up in Las Vegas for three days to figure out how to get a hold of this tricky and sprawling source material. They initially t- planned to tackle the first three novels but ended up cutting all but a few shreds of Queen of the Damned, which makes a lot of sense given how much that book is the backstory of vampirism's origin and would probably be a touch too ambitious for a stage show. Taupan admitted that he was best known for writing what he called the five-minute fix, singles that got the job done, so to speak. He was excited for the chance to write something with a wider narrative and darker mood, admitting that songs, quote, based in depression and sadness, are much more interesting to write about. Well, that fits Lestat, certainly.
0: The final result would be a following of Lestat through the events of the first and second Vampire Chronicles books, albeit chronologically rather than in the original publication order. Most of the first act is dedicated to Lestat's origin. As a young man, he leaves his mother, Gabrielle, to go to Paris to be with his lover, Nicholas, was working in a small theatre as an actor. However, the ideal is shattered when Lestat is attacked and turned by a vampire who then self-immolates on a pyre. Struggling with his new state, Lestat attempts to hide from his mother when she comes looking for him, only to turn her when he learns that she is sick and dying. When Lestat is reunited with Nicholas, he turns him as well. Unfortunately, he does not take this nearly as well as Gabrielle and falls into a catatonic state. Having learned from a troop of vampires the story of their leader Armand and his maker Marius, Lestat seeks out the latter vampire to help with Nicholas. After 10 years, Gabriel leaves his son to go see the world, and Nicholas asks Lestat to release him from this state. Lestat does so, and as he scatters his lover's ashes, Marius finally appears. Act 2 sees Lestat, encouraged by Marius, leaving for the New World, where he meets a young man who agrees to become a vampire like Lestat. As Louis becomes dissatisfied with a vampiric life, Lestat turns a small girl for Louis to raise with him. Despite his horror at the act, Louis agrees. The girl craves more blood than an adult vampire does, and lamenting the way that she will remain a child forever, Claudia attempts to kill Lestat, despite his apologies for what he has inflicted upon her. Louis burns down the house, but Lestat escapes and returns to Armand and his troop of vampires. Surprise! That's also where Louis and Claudia have run to. Upon learning of Claudia's attempted suicide, Armand and his troop execute her by exposing her to the sun, despite Lestat's protests. Louis leaves, and Armand mocks Lestat for his emotional suffering. The argument ends when Armand throws Lestat off the roof, where Marius and Gabriel come to Lestat's rescue. Lestat continues to Lestat through to the modern day. That's it. That's the plot. Two books and a whole lot of years squished into about two hours of musical. And while there's a lot of exciting events in there, there's very little time to devote to them.
1: The musical had its first reading in 2003, with performers including Jack Noseworthy, Steve Blanchard and Max von Essen, with Jack Barber in the lead role. Of the four, only Noseworthy would stick with the show, Perhaps Von Essen was wary of yet another vampire musical. Given his major role in Dance of the Vampires and that failure, who can really blame him? Despite critical disdain, the public loved Lestat and the show broke the box office record as the highest grossing world premiere musical ever in San Francisco. While the show would inevitably need to make changes as all productions do pre-transfer, it's not hard to see why Warner Brothers and the creative team would have hope for a hit with Lestat. It had real name recognition, fervent cult fan base, and it wouldn't have been all that tough to spin a narrative about the real fans getting it over the snooty critics. After all, Rice's novels had never been universally adored by the literary elite, yet they've endured for decades. The show's pre-Broadway premiere was on December 17, 2015 in San Francisco. The cast featured Phantom of the Opera's own Hugh Pinaro as Lestat. Jim Stanick as Louis, Alison Fisher as Claudia, Carly Carmelo as Gabrielle, and Jack Nosworthy as Armand. An elaborate production, it featured projected images reflecting the story of Lestat's life as he typed. There was also the interesting creative choice not to use fangs or fake blood in the musical. Apparently it was an attempt to emphasise the humanity of the characters. But it's a vampire musical, just give the audience what they want. Less than a week into this run, Nosworthy would depart the production, leaving Drew Sarek, perennial Fangfology favourite, to fill the role of Armand, which he would do until its closing on Broadway. Of all Americans, Sarek was a big name in Europe, where he originated the stage role of Cosine Rodo in Disney's Der Glockner von Notre Dame, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Earlier that year, he'd performed in the lead role of Dracula the musical, the German language reboot of the failed Broadway show. He'd even brought his fangs and contacts for the show, so when they learned they were not needed, he basically shrugged and proceeded to wear them when walking around San Francisco during the day. The children smiled at him when he walked across the street. Parents, not so much.
0: By the time Lestat arrived on Broadway, it was a very different show. By Torpen's account, the Broadway version of Lestat was about 65-70% changed from its San Francisco run. While the broader strokes of the plot remained the same, some scenes were expanded, the extravagant production values toned down, and all references to Queen of the Damned and Akasha were eventually removed. John also wrote two new songs, Beautiful Boy for Gabriel and Right Before My Eyes for Lestat. Much of the more elaborate staging with its projected images was stripped away, as was the framing device of Lestat typing his memoirs on a typewriter. In Paris, a duet between Lestat and his lover Nicholas became a broader sequence showing Lestat seeing the young man for the first time. Origin of the Species, a song detailing the history of King Enkel and Queen Akasha, and the origin of all vampires, was replaced by a morality play about the relationship of Marius and Amant. All mentions of Akasha, Queen of the Damned, were eventually dropped entirely, which included a large part of the original ending sequence. While other scenes or songs remain broadly the same in role, new decisions were made regarding how the actor portrayed the character in the moment. In both versions, Claudia dies by being exposed to sunlight as punishment for her attempted killing of Lestat, but the acting and effects are very different. In San Francisco, she is exposed to sunlight immediately, lifting her eyes to the light and letting out a sorrowful single word cry. Then the music swells, and the image of flames is projected over Claudia, and the curtain that falls in front of her as the darkness closes in to enable the transition to the next scene. On Broadway, the scene is more drawn out and agonizing, yet also unintentionally funny. Claudia is still tied to the chair, but the light shines first across the stage, the lit-up rectangle split by the bars of the grate as it slowly advances. Claudia fights her bindings, screaming in terror and frustration as her skirt begins to burn. Then she howls one long scream of agony as smoke surrounds her and her chair descends through a trap door in the stage. It's clearly supposed to be super dramatic, but it comes across as more the vampire version of the Wicked Witch of the West than a tragedy. I'm burning! I'm burning! And then in both To Kill Your Kind, where Armand judges and sentences Claudia to death. And after all this time, where he later revels in his revenge over Lestat, Armand is much more aggressive and invasive of personal space in Broadway as opposed to San Francisco. While this is noticeable in his behaviour in his behaviour towards Claudia, it's blatant towards Lestat. No longer does Armand practice social distancing. Instead he stands over Lestat prowls around him is overall way more super dramatic and ends the song with a mocking kiss and a pat on Lestat's cheek. That kiss was definitely not present
1: in San Francisco. Thankfully, by the time the show began its time on Broadway, they'd made a final decision as to the ending. After Lestat is thrown from the roof by Armand, breaking his legs and leaving him in such despair he decides not to escape the coming sun, his mother Gabrielle comes to the rescue. Or maybe it was Marius. Or maybe it was both of them. It's kind of muddied, it's, it's weird. And then when Lestat feels better, they talk some more about vampire things, like Akasha, before he sits at a table to write the memoirs he's been typing throughout the entire show. It must have been really confusing if you saw the show more than once during the San Francisco run. Audiences saw one of those three variations on the ending, with different characters playing the role of Lestat's rescuer. And none of it really lines up with the book. In Broadway, There's just one more intimate ending. Gabrielle and Marius come to Lestat's rescue. There's a reprise of Gabrielle's big number from Act 1, only this time as a duet with her son. Lestat finds physical and emotional sustenance in the blood of Marius as the stage falls to black, and when he emerges, this time in modern clothes, he declares, I am the vampire Lestat, and I will live forever. Cue applause? No? Mm, Okay then, uh, on to the next show. A big problem with that is it's just really
0: freaking boring rice's books are often languidly paced or take long diversions for characters to discuss philosophical quandaries of undead life but they're seldom dull they're immersive and detailed in ways that keep you hooked book after book their characters are all multi-layered and deserving of their own stories which many of them receive crucially Lestat himself is immensely charming and fun to follow through this expansive saga. His charisma knows no bounds, even when he's at his most morose. He laughs in the face of tradition and mocks his fellow vampires who adhere to the clichés of their species. Yet he has an incredible capacity for love and emotional strife. In the books that the musical semi-adapts, he is really put through the ringer. He's turned against his will, he has a tumultuous relationship with his first love, he wanders the world looking for answers, he meets Louis and turns Claudia He's left for dead for a few decades. Then he decides to tell the human world that vampires exist through Jim Morrison-esque rock music, mostly to see what happens. To reduce all of that to a dull mope, a sad boy, who embodies all of the trite cliches of the vampire that audiences have become tired of by the mid-2000s, is such a waste. It's not really Hugh Panero's fault. He is trying, and it must have seemed like going from the Phantom to Lestat was a simple step forward in his career. His version of the Phantom also tends to be more lavishly dramatic than some of his colleagues, which makes sense for Lestat, a brat who who is never one to shirk the spotlight. Mostly, however, he seems just kind of sullen. Then again, so do most of his co-stars. The material doesn't let them be much else.
1: is, however, One thing that Lestat does really well, and one thing that the other adaptations never even bothered with, and that's Gabrielle, Lestat's mother. In the vampire Lestat, we are introduced to her as a beautiful noblewoman stifled by the constraints of her life. She adores her son, one of her three children who survived infancy, and she lived vicariously through his new life away from home, even funding his time in Paris by selling her jewels. Before she can die, Lestat turns her into a vampire, And she immediately takes to her new undead life with relish. She dresses in male clothing and chops off her hair, something she has to do every day because Vampire's hair grows back basically instantly. Eventually she leaves Lestat to live a nomadic half-wild life in the jungle, free of society and in many ways free from gender. Gabrielle is arguably the most fascinating female character in the entirety of the Vampire Chronicles, but sadly she really doesn't have all that much competition. Maybe Pandora, maybe the Mayfair sisters, maybe Claudia. She's a fiery woman who glories in her newfound powers and the freedom she gains by exiting polite human society. In a series of novels that plays around with ideas of gender and sexuality, Gabrielle's story is one of the most fascinating takes on this. She never got her own book, sadly, and she really only makes a couple brief appearances in other books following the vampire Lestat. Mostly when Lestat is fucking around and needs someone to put him in his place. So, if nothing else, the musical gave us Gabrielle, and Carolee Carmelo's performance saw her receive one of the show's two Tony nominations. The other was for costume design. Lestat closed on May 28, 2006, after 33 previews and 39 performances. The reviews for the Broadway production were uniformly negative, with the show easily being the punching bag of the theatrical season. There were a lot of vampire-related puns in these reviews. The New York Post's verdict was bloody awful. The New York Star-Ledger said Lestat was just deadly. Ben Brantley of the New York Times said the show was, quote, The musical's sleeping pill. Dare to look upon Lestat and keep your eyelids from growing heavier and heavier and heavier. The original Broadway cast recording was recorded by Mercury Records on May 22, 2006. But Elton John's management stated that, There are no plans to release the recording at present. Today the show survives exclusively through bootlegs with many seemingly forgetting that the show exists. It's yet another show to point to for Broadway's record of bad vampire musicals. One more flop on the top of the pile that never stood a chance. Rice returned to her vampires in 2016 with Prince Lestat, which really is one of the best books in the series and a return to that classic style and focus that readers love so much. There hasn't been a new Vampire Chronicles book since 2018's Blood Communion, a novel that feels like a good conclusion of sorts to the whole saga. Rice hasn't said she's done with the stories, however, so there is hope for more. After many years in development limbo, a Vampire Chronicles TV show is on the way. Rice has been working on the series with her son Christopher, himself a best-selling author, and the network AMC is aiming for a 2022 release. As we were writing this episode, it was announced that Australian actor Sam Reed will play Lestat. Deadline also reported that AMC has opened a writer's room for a potential series based on the Mayfair Witches trilogy, which eventually crosses over with The Vampire Chronicles in a very strange manner. It's an ambitious undertaking, one that fans have waited a very long time for. It remains to be seen if AMC will allow the series to be as detailed, as queer, and as downright bonkers as the books. I mean, it's later revealed that the vampires are descended from aliens. You know you want to see that. Isn't it a shame the musical couldn't have included that? Thanks for listening to Fangfology. This episode was written, edited, and narrated by Kayleigh Donaldson and Catherine Slavova. More information links to our research can be found at our website, fangfology.com. For bite-sized trivia and miscellany, check out our Twitter and Instagram accounts, also at the name Fangfology. Please like, share and review us wherever you subscribe to podcasts and we will see you in our next episode.